anything that I could do to just learn. And I immersed myself in the in the industry. So I went to all of the all of the events all over the country, wherever they were like publishing events. And I started making a name for myself as I was doing the research. Whether it's pioneers making unique moves in their field for the first time or people breaking in into industries and representing a new demographic, firsts are always worth celebrating. But what happens when you're the pioneer in an industry that was written off as dead? That's the story of Noel Santos. Noel is the proprietress of The Lit Bar, the only bookstore in the Bronx, which is currently a community of more than one million people. How do you navigate building a business from soup to nuts and exceeding everyone's expectations? Well, you'll soon hear how she did that and so much more. But to say it plainly, Noelle is an Afro-Latina who owns an indie bookstore in a community that is fighting the oppressions of gentrification. From Noelle's early independence to her creative genius in creating the lip bar, this story is definitely one for the books. Check it out. So I'm sitting here with Noelle Santos. How you doing, Noelle? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time out to have a chat with me today. And um, for those out there who maybe they don't know who you are, can you kind of briefly explain what you do? I am the owner of the best bookstore in the whole world. It's called <laughs> The Lit Bar. Um, lit like literature. See what I did there? Yeah. And Lit like the bar that's behind me. And um, we're the only bookstore in a community of 1.5 million people in the literary capital of the world, the Bronx, New York City. You're, you're, come on now. I'm, like, I'm not a motive. I'm not going to act like I am. I don't do that. But I do love Uptown. So I'm a, I'm in, I've been in Harlem for a while. So, <laughs> so I got a lot of love for the Bronx. Um, so let's kind of dig into the very early early, early Noel. I want to get to young Noel. Um, what was your very, very first job? My very, very first job, we're taking it back. I'm, I'm, I'm a vintage, um, (laughs) (laughs) okay. My very first job was as a dancing banana for Jamba Juice. Okay. I love it. Wait, how old were you? I was, I had working papers. I was 14. Okay. Okay. So 14. Yep. I'll walk you through it. So I was a dancing banana for Jamba Juice. Um, my, my mom and my grandmother, they got together that they started a nonprofit um, Montessori schools and after school programs, the basketball association. And I got a job there as a counselor, after school program counselor, and a break dancing teacher. That stems from my dancing banana days. <laughs> and <laughs> from so from there, um I was I was grown like pretty pretty young. I moved out of my my family's house when I was 16. It seems like you've always been very independent. So um what what was that like? You, moving out at that age and I mean you're your uptown, were you, did you move in with roommates? Did you move in with other family? What was, what was that like? 
Yes, I'm, I've never had a roommate before. I've actually, I've lived. I'm 33 now, and I've lived alone since I was 16 years old. Wow. Um, okay. I'm in my second apartment now. I got my first apartment when I was 16. I graduated high school when I was 16, and um, you know, I, I, I moved out on my own, and I made. I took two part-time jobs and made it into a full-time job while I went to college in the daytime. I had my master's degree by the time I was 23. Um, so I'm just always, you know, just about my business and always thinking about mobility and, you know, just making sure I had everything under my belt, all the tools I could get under my belt to just be successful. Yeah. So what did you study? You got a master's by the time you were 23? Yeah, I graduated high school when I was 16. Then um, I got my bachelor's degree in business and accounting. Hmm. And then I went, I took this, I, t- I went back to the same school, Lehman College in the Bronx, and then I got my master's degree in business and human resources management. Okay. Okay. So I don't, I want to get into whole, the whole journey of the lip bar and all of that. But just before that, it sounds like you did end up going into, you know, in the beginning, you went into the career that you got your master's, your degrees in, in HR. So what was, how long were you in that space? And also... Can you kind of dig into um, how did you feel in that job? Did you feel like you were doing what your purpose was? So I didn't have that language, like that language of like walking in your purpose. And like that's all kind of new to me from Instagram. (laughs) When I was in school, my thought process was, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. So I just... I, I doubled down on like what I was good at. I'm very analytical. I love numbers and data and spreadsheets. I use all the weird functions in Excel, like concatenate and all the things that people don't think of. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew what I was strong at. I knew what would interest me. So I was like, every business needs an accountant. So I majored yeah. in business and accounting and I figured I'd just figure it out along the way. Yeah. Um, and it worked out for me. So as soon as I um, as soon as I graduated with my degree, I got my first big girl job and I was making forty five thousand dollars out of college. I know you love numbers. I mean, <laughs> I do love numbers. So I'm like, OK, forty five thousand at twenty three years old. And this was around what year? I was class of 2009 for my bachelor's and I went to school from 6 to 10 p.m. for six years straight and I I worked my job um, in the daytime. So my my job while I was getting my bachelor's, I was an office manager for in a hospital for the engineering and environmental services department. And that's where I got my first taste of like payroll and human resources. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I I like the accounting and the numbers part, but I also like the people aspect. And um, that's how I like got my foot into HR. So okay. I took those, I, p- payroll was the, was the bridge. And I was able to command a high salary once I, um, once I got my master's degree because companies their payroll people and their HR people are always two separate things. But when you hire me, you get it all in one. So, so, um, so like one, I was always getting like one and a half times, um, like a, like a normal salary in my, in my industry. Um, so after 
the hospital job. I got another, my second full-time job after my ma- um my second full-time job right when I graduated. I was working in the Bronx for a nonprofit and there I was making 60k. Wow. I mean, that's when you're at that age, that's like big that's big bucks. So you're making, you know, you're making the salary, you're um can we talk a little bit about your personal life, like, because um, it sounds like you've always been very, very determined professionally and you've always been about your bag. But what were you like? You were living alone. Um, you were living alone in the city, you know, that you were born in. So I'm assuming you had a good support system around you or like were you kind of always like the, a bit of a lone wolf? I've always been the lone wolf. Yeah. So I actually live in New York City by myself. My mom, um, she lives in Florida. She moved when I was 18 years old to Florida. And she took my little sister. She was five at the time. They moved to Florida together. And I was 18 and living on my own for two years at that point. So I wasn't uprooting my life to go down there. And I have a very small family. So both of my parents are the only children. So I don't have aunts, uncles, cousins, any of that. I got you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I've I've lived um, alone, um, yeah, all that time. I've, I was in a relationship for eight and a half years, um, from the time I was twenty one until we broke up when I was thirty, like right before the lip bar took off. Right. So that was my um, that was my family for a long time, and it's it's different now since we've broken up, but um, they're still there for me. Yeah, I always wonder about support systems, you know, because I know like. Like we, we're all out here, I think, doing so much <laughs> alone and kind of like making things work and figuring things out along the way. But I want to know about your relationship with books. Clearly, it is an important relationship. And I think like after just hearing you talk about how driven you are in your journey and how, um, how determined you were and very structured from a young age to like live on your own and be very independent. Um, what kind of books did you read growing up? Were books, did they inform you or were they more of an escape? I started, my love affair with books started with fiction and literature. Um, my mom actually gave me the first like thick novel that I read, um, Tree Grows in Brooklyn. And it was a form of punishment. <laughs> like you need to be more grateful about your life. And the Tree Grows in Brooklyn, that's her favorite book of all time. And I ended up loving it. So yeah. joke on her. Yeah. <laughs> so now I had this itch for reading and then I got um like junior high school, you know, my friends were reading Push and Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. That was the book that that was my gateway drug <laughs> into reading. Yeah, sure. Pretty much all I read pretty much like through my mid 20s was urban fiction. Yeah. My classic section in the lip bar is the top row is all urban fiction, all the classics like Coldest Winter Ever and Zane Addicted. And it says the signage says classics, not up for debate. That's not up for debate. (laughs) Okay. I do want to get back into that because to me, that's what's so important about independent bookstores is it speaks to the audience as opposed to like, you would never see that out of Barnes and Noble or, you know, whatever other chain bookstores those are. But so let's get back to a year ago. 
um, a little over a year ago, you opened up the only, um, I want to say the only independent bookstore in the Bronx, but or is it the only bookstore in the Bronx at this um, at this point, right? We are the only bookstore in the Bronx, period. Crazy. Crazy. 1.5 million people and 10 colleges um, in the Bronx, and we're the only bookstore here. And this was not my dream. <laughs> um, I'm happy to get into the, the startup story. Oh, yeah. I'm about to get there. Let's get to it. I want to know... Um, from what I understand, there was, um, I think it was a Barnes & Noble that was about to kind of, you know, one of those big box bookstores that, uh, let's be real, those chains definitely demolished the independent book industry anyways. However, in a place like the Bronx, where that's the only bookstore like that, and it ended up closing, and that was a huge, huge like blow to the community from what I gathered. So um, what inspired you to even like someone with your background to even open up your own bookstore? How did that come about? So like I said, this was this was not on my radar as a career at all. I thought I was doing exactly what I studied. So in 2014, I was a human resources director and I worked for an IT firm in Tribeca and um, making, six, a- making six making six figures. <laughs> I love to talk about money and numbers, so let's go for it. I was, I was making six figures, a 12% bonus, <laughs> living my best life. And one day I was on Facebook and I came across this petition that said the Barnes & Noble in the Northeast Bronx was just in jeopardy of closing. So I signed the petition. I got some friends to sign it because I lived at that Barnes & Noble. Yeah. And... um. I didn't feel better. And that was when I learned the statistic that there's 1.5 million people and 10 colleges. And there was just one bookstore. I was disgusted knowing that there was just one bookstore at at the time. So um, that petition galvanized the property owners and Barnes and Noble and the politicians. They came to an agreement that they would extend at least two years. So in my mind, I was like, okay, that means I have two years to, to open a bookstore. I, I'm, I figured I took responsibility for it. And going back to what you asked before about like how books influenced me, books were, was my, it was my tool to, to economic mobility. Yeah. It was my form of entertainment growing up. Um, as I got, got older, um, I read a lot more nonfiction now. So I want to be more grounded in my reality and learn the way things work and um, just be exposed to different cultures. And it's, it's like my form of travel. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so I felt like it was an atrocity to take that to take that tool away from the youth that are coming up behind me. Yeah window books were my window outside of my little five block radius in Soundview. And um, I was, I was just devastated that the quote unquote adults, like how did they, how did we even get here? Um, Education is the foundation to any type of learning. So I started looking at myself as a coward because I, up to that point, I had measured my success by how far I could get away from the Bronx. Mm -hmm. I was, I was not always woke, you know, 
Yeah, no, I get it. You, you get your money, you get, you know, you get out the hood, you take your mom. My mother was already, you know, <laughs> she was, she was already out. So that was my mindset that, you know, I was making my six figures and I was going to, you know, move to Long Island City, closer to where I worked and, you know, had this guy that I thought I was going to um, have a life with. And um, that just really shook me to my core. Um, and I, I was like, okay, no one else is going to do it. So I have to do it. Yeah. So I wow. like fire to, to open the bookstore. It sounds like too, you just, I mean, that's a lot of, a lot of us feel, you know, bad when we see things like that happen, but not a lot of us have the, whether it's the resources, the strength, the strength, the courage, the confidence to really do something about it. So I kind of like, where did you, were you at one point ever overwhelmed at the thought of, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to create my own bookstore. Like there was there never a moment where you were like, whoa, this is so much bigger than me. Like maybe I should, you know, campaign for somebody else to open a, another bookstore or just, there's so many things that you could have other things that you could have done that were maybe smaller than that decision, but you just went hard. You went, you literally went from zero to a hundred. So where, you know, where does that come from? And why did you feel like it was your responsibility and yours alone? Hmm. The opportunity just kept chasing me every time I would do more research. Yeah. So when I started, I started by literally Googling how to open a bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the link that came up was um, our National Trade Association, the American Booksellers Association. They had a checklist called how to open a bookstore. Hmm. And one of the steps on that checklist, one of the top steps was to take this course in Florida for a week. So I took a week of vacation to go learn about how to open a bookstore. I was not decided because I'm like very analytical. Like this was a very, very risky thing to do, but I only take calculated risks. I'm a calculator. I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> like, how did we get here? Because I, just from what you said about who you are and like, at least like how you, you know, very, very analytical, very structured. Um, I'm getting that. I'm going to work up to that six figure job. I'm going to get them benefits. I'm going to, you know, I'm living alone. I'm providing for myself. Uh, you know, just tunnel vision, and then all of a sudden, boom, something shakes your core. Well, that's, that's the part that, that nobody sees. Everybody's like, this is so risky. You opened up an independent bookstore in 2019 in the South Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it was a very calculated risk okay. that I took. I started, I took the class, and I didn't leave with all the answers, but I left with all the questions that I was going to need to study and figure out. And I spent two and a half years working for free at mm. other bookstores. I would take off my suit after I left, get on the train at Wall Street and go to Brooklyn, go to um, the bookstores in Soho and ask them, the owners, can I work for free or can I help you with your books or whatever skill? I was taking out garbage and carrying boxes at Housing Works for, for months until I sprained my ankle. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's that housing works in Soho with all the beautiful, all those books. 
Yeah. Oh, that beautiful. So, okay. What I worked there for free. I worked at Word Community Bookshop for free. I worked at Greenlight Bookstore for free. Um, anything that I could do to just learn. And I immersed myself in the in the industry. So I went to all of the all of the events all over the country, wherever they were like publishing events. And I started making a name for myself as I was doing the research. Okay. So when I was in that course in Florida, it was a week-long intensive course. And one of the guys in my class, he said, I entered this business plan competition a couple of years ago and I didn't do well, but I think you would do well. Um, so I, I came back to New York and I entered the competition. It was being run by City Foundation. And it was a 10-month-long competition, lots of classes and different rounds. And I came in second place out of 360 businesses in New York City. And I won some seed money. Okay. So I won $7,500 and I bought a six-foot table, some pop-up shop materials, <laughs> like little wine crates. And I yeah. stacked them up on top of each other to like make book a book display. And I would go to the museums, to the restaurants and set up my six foot table anywhere they would let me and sell books for about two and a half years. I tested the market just to see where um, where people would show up if this was actually viable. Then I joined meetup.com and I started a group, a book club to start actually populating these events that I was creating and creating these experiences. And my book club grew to hundreds and hundreds of people. What was the name of the book club? Readers and Shakers. Okay. Okay. Just curious. So the whole premise of the book club was we would, we would meet for the book club discussion, but we would do some type of bonding activity that kind of tied into the theme of the book. Yeah. So if we read the Nightingale that turned, um, we read the Nightingale and we had that discussion over French cuisine. We traveled, we went to Dubai, we went to um, Turks and Caicos. We did, we did a lot of fun activities um, around the themes of the books. Wow. Um, I'm going to bring that back. That was an awesome experience. Especially now in 2020, <laughs> I mean, you know, we all could use this. So you're doing all this and you're still holding down, you know, that full-time job and it's kind of like you're, I don't want to say your your hustle because it's it's not it was more than that, but I'm assuming it slowly started to kind of take over <laughs> take over your life a little more. Absolutely, this completely consumed me, but I came alive. So there was never a point that just clicked for me like you're going to open the bookstore. It was like okay, you taken this class, and now this business plan competition happened. So now people are talking about you. So now the next step, you want to test the market, and now. I have hundreds of women showing up to these events and you're talking about this bookstore dream and just kind of every time I would take a step, the, the stare would magically appear <laughs> in front of me until we got here. <laughs> so fast forward to I, I was making all that money and I still didn't have any savings. Uh, you know what? I I actually wanted to, I was going to ask that a little earlier, like, because I did wonder how much of your own money you invested in this, but so you didn't have a savings um, during all of this. I mean, I'm not surprised because I think that's, that's actually very common for our demographic, for being in your thirties, for, you know, like we don't, we barely have, I think, what is it? $400 <laughs> in case of an emergency. So 
Um, what was the trigger that said, okay, I've done this research. I've taken these classes. Um, you know, I'm, I just need to, I just need to open a bookstore. What made you do that? The clock ran out on the Barnes and Noble, that two year extension that the, on the lease that that petition got us. Yeah. That expired December 31st, 2016. And I said, okay, it's time. Yeah. So, <laughs> I, I had savings, but I didn't have savings for a startup. So I had a 401k. I, I had a Roth IRA that I was maxing out since I was 18 years old. Like that was my, that was my 18th birthday gift to myself was to max. I've always been an old lady. And my date every Saturday night was at 8 p.m. was with Susie Orman. Yes, yes, I'm here for that. I'm here for Susie. (laughs) And she told me I need a Roth IRA. So I I was, and I had emergency savings, but I didn't have startup funds. And I didn't put any of my own money into my startup. I had had the $7,500 from the competition. I had the money that I was earning from the pop-up shops that I was doing. Okay. And then I launched a crowdfund on MLK Day of 2017. So the Barnes & Noble announces they're closing. They close on New Year's Eve of 2016. And I put together the whole campaign within about two weeks or so. Okay. And can you tell for those, I, I know what the name is, but can those, for those out there who don't know the name of this, um, it was an Indiegogo, right? What was the name of it? I did a Indiegogo. It was called Let's Bring a Goddamn Bookstore to the Bronx. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love that energy. So I wanted, I got some flack behind that. You know, the, I, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I'm sure, that's why I'm like, I wanted you to say it because I think it's bomb. I love, again, I love the energy behind it, but I'm assuming a lot, there were a lot of, a lot of people who are a little older out there, a lot of people who aren't from the Bronx, who, a lot of people who, you know, just who didn't like it. So, well, I got some flack behind it, but um, I, I, st- I stuck with it because I wanted people to know what they were getting. If you're offended by that, you're not going to have a good time in my store. Yes. And before people invested money into me in this dream, I wanted to know who they were investing in. Yeah. I I wanted I, that's I don't just walk around the street <laughs> saying goddamn, but it was it was an expression of my anger. Yeah, I wanted to snatch your attention. Let's bring a goddamn bookstore to the Bronx. Like I'm angry. Like it's it's time for us to mobilize. No one is coming to save us, yeah. and I wanted to express that as soon as you met me. And I knew I couldn't just be a talking head on a screen because. Remember, I still have my full-time job and a pretty high-powered job at that. I don't have time to be standing in the street handing out flyers. So <laughs> anything I do, my pieces got to hit on the first try. I, everything I put out has to go viral. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I wanted something that was very in-your-face. And I also, I did my crowdfund pitch in a rap. So <laughs> okay, okay. I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to ask. You know what I'm going to ask. You don't have to do the whole thing, but can I get a snippet? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Once upon a time, a girl from the Bronx had big dreams of owning a bookstore wine bar right at home. 
It would be the only bookstore in a community of over 1.5 million people and 10 colleges. And it would be called the Lit Bar. Lit like literature, lit like drunk. <laughs> lit with passion to kill stigmas, overdue to be debunked, and prove once again that the Bronx keeps creating it. And we are worthy, that we are more than just sneaker stores and we support the arts. So I stand here today and ask you to open your hearts and help me show the world what many fail to see, that the Bronx is no longer burning, except with desire to read. And that we thrive, just like the indie bookseller that you were told died. The numbers don't lie. Did you know that indie bookstores increased their presence over 35% since 2009? <laughs> with sales outpacing general bookstores nationwide. I've been accused of supporting gentrification because I stand to capitalize. No, I'm not the type to pick, a, pick up a picket sign. I'm solution-oriented. I said hello to the developers, the bad guys, and went home to write my business plan on how I was going to ensure that faces that look like mine are represented in these market rate districts in a few years' time. Whoa. <laughs> I don't have the answer to... I don't have the answer to displacement, but pride and prejudice is only welcome in the Lit Bar's classic section. The answer to inclusion is to know is not to divide. The so-called hippies too feel the rent is too damn high and that black culture matters along with our lives. So I will land the Lit Bar on top of our South Bronx, their piano district or whatever, Prim Plymouth Rock, so that future and existing residents of this borough can harmonize over little Chardonnay and Marvin Gaye. I am Noel Santos from the Black. Afro-Latina from Soundview, resident of Katona Park. I was abandoned by a one big box bookshop all the way up in co-op that served my knowledge. Both of my degrees are from the Bronx, Lehman College. I am a woman. I am a millennial. I am you, and it is my mission that with the healing power of literature to restore kings and queens to their thrones and help us cope. Preach the importance of community and shop local. Mend the gap between young and old. Recite John Lennon and J. Cole. I declare war on reality shows that teach our children to aspire to Instagram follows. Follow us at the lit bar, though. <laughs> and like. And to be loving wherever wives that ain't really wives that only promote Black love in real life, starting with the lit bar, a home to read and write and blog and excite with book and travel clubs, kitty litter, poetry slams, girls game and date nights. We will not conform. We will expand horizons beyond pages and pick up where school curriculums fear to engage us. And offer Life 101 workshops for all ages. Take you back to the time of healthy socialization. And don't forget the wine tasting. So meet us at the Lit Bar near the Bruckner for wine and literature. You can bring your book club or your e-reader with you to the place to read, discuss, and lounge and sip, talk arts and entrepreneurship, and all things the Bronx. We come live. On, come on. Come on now. I'm like, yes. I'm sitting over here just like, ah. So obviously, business plans, preparation. So necessary, but it's not, this is kind of, it reads almost like a manifesto for you, right? Like, I mean, it, did that just come to you when you were in the midst of everything and you just wanted to get it down what you were about? Like, I love that. That was the first and last thing I've ever written in my life. <laughs> I don't know where it came from. I think yeah. it's just coming from the Bronx is in my blood. Yeah. That's also what I love. So, like, the Bronx is just, um, it's just one of the most culturally rich. So many things come from, you know, the from that borough. It's not just all about Brooklyn. It's not just all about it, Manhattan. And I just, I, that's what I love about it. Like you just, you're very much rooted in your identity and you bring that 
into your work. And, you know, I think that's so important, especially for bookstores, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but the first independent bookstore I ever walked into, I was maybe 22. Um, and it was like, I mean, I had, I was, I moved to Chicago. I was living in Chicago and that's when I saw it. And I never, as much as I loved reading growing up, I never realized what I was missing and all of the, uh, you know, all the black book, all the authors, they're always relegated to that tiny little shelf in those big bookstores. So to go into a space and see all of, you know, these different aspects of my identity, these different stories, it was just like, whoa, I can do this. So, um, Tell me about what was the first independent bookstore that you ever walked into and what did that feel like when you saw it? I had never been inside of an independent bookstore before I decided to open one. So when I started working for free, I had never been inside of an indie bookstore. 100% of my bookstore experience was that Barnes & Noble. So when I was younger, my, my parents used to bring books home. And then in school, I would exchange books with my, you know, with my classmates and yeah, I made it to like 23, 24, like you, before I got into um, my own bookstore. And even when I don't have bookstores, I didn't have bookstores owned by people of color mm-hmm. around me, even when my horizons were expanded. The Lit Bar is my first experience with Black books, mm-hmm. of books that represent people of color, like in a retail setting. And it, it's kind of bittersweet. Um, I'm kind of grateful that I didn't have that experience because I didn't have a blueprint or a mold of like what a bookstore should be. Yeah. So it's my personality. You know, yeah. we are looking at a section called Dear White People and next to it is um, social science and the signage it says this is where black women and feminism intersect. So I was, I was able to do a lot of storytelling um, and design the store in a way that I wanted to shop a, a bookstore. And I think if I would have had that experience coming up, I would have built what I saw. Yeah, I get that. I can understand that. So you had a blank slate. You could just kind of do and create whatever you wanted. And it yeah. sounds like that's what resonated so much with um, when you started getting all of that attention. Because that's, I do remember seeing your crap, that, that crowdfunding. Like, I remember seeing that because I do remember um, just the place I was working at the time, we would cover things like that. And um, and just being very just inspired to see, you know what I'm saying? Like, wow. But can we kind of get into, I know you've been closed for a little while and you anticipated celebrating your first year with this amazing business in a very different way. Um, how challenging has this year been for you, really? This is the best and worst year of my life. 2020 has dragged me. Yeah. yeah. We were 10 months old into our, um, into my dream before the Rona shut us down. And our one year anniversary was April 27th. Congratulations. Thank you. It, It felt so great. Like I had no experience. I never worked in retail before. I never been behind the bar 
yeah. before I decided to open one. Like literally the day my construction started, I went to the restaurant next door. Like, can I see what's back there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they let me go back there with my tape measurement. So this was like such a labor of love and I had sacrificed so much like me all the time and commitment that I put into this business was a, a big factor in the end of my eight and a half year relationship. So this was everything to me. So most of the challenge during the Rona has been mental. It's been emotional. I've yeah. been mourning the, the closure of my store. Um, it, it was so beautiful. It was so black. I'm so mad because I, mean, I don't live that far, but I mean, I definitely kept saying like, oh, I'm going to make it. I'm going to take an Uber up top. Like, you know, no big deal. And I never got to make it. So I'm, I'm angry at myself, you know, but yeah. So it's all right. We'll be back for you, sis. We'll be back. We'll be back for me. <laughs> so, um, so how are you, how are you coping? How have you been able to survive? And from what I understand, I know you had, you know, some challenges keeping your staff. So can you kind of just briefly get into what some of those challenges were and how you're coping? So the first weeks I was hemorrhaging cash. So I needed to lay off my team pretty early and pretty much for the month of March, my focus was just making sure that they're good. So I reached out to a few of the essential businesses because we're mostly retail. So we weren't considered one of the essential businesses that were able to stay open. So I reached out to restaurants and um, to see like if anybody would pick up my team if they so choose to. So I was able to get all five of my team members placed at an essential business. So once I knew that they were straight and then they announced that stimulus package, I was like, okay, my team is good. I spent the next several weeks just paralyzed, just in my feelings. <laughs> understandably, understandably, I get just, it. Just completely paralyzed. And, um, you know, I don't have any kids. I'm single. So being quarantined is different when you live. When you live. Know, it's real different. Real different. Like the peace, the quiet is wonderful because I'm someone who's, who's, I've lived alone for about 13 years and like <laughs> a little too much of a good thing at this point for me. But, but I mean, I, I can understand like that had to be really, really challenging for you to be going through all that completely isolated because you're just left with yourself. There's nothing else. There's no distractions. Um, how did things change? Um, we're currently in, God, what month are we in? July. <laughs> and from what I understand, things, they did kind of shift a little bit for you in the last couple months. What happened? Things have shifted a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> In a good way. Yeah. So when the protests for our brother George Floyd began, the entire world um, seemingly made this commitment to buying anti-racist reading materials and not only being more conscious about what they consume in terms of reading, but that where they buy it from is just as important. Absolutely. So there's just been this rush to support Black-owned businesses and especially Black-owned bookstores. Yeah. And you already know who's going to win that Google search. I right? know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And then I have some privilege. I'm African-American and I'm also Puerto Rican. So, and my journey has been very high profile. Like this whole story yeah. that I'm telling you, the media has followed yeah. of the way because this is like such a great underdog story, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's also like, and it's just, it, I think too, what always struck me about your story was it, obviously no one saw this arc <laughs> coming, but just the beginning of like how you just started from a place that was just pure passion. So from jump, I'm always like, okay, like what, you know, what, what really pushed you to do that? Because not everyone is willing to open up a bookstore. Not everyone is willing to um, quit their six figure jobs and just launch into something like that with, you know, no experience prior. So it's clear it took you, you know, like it, that's always been something that I've been super, super passionate about wanting to find out about more. Um, so can you kind of just briefly, just kind of briefly dig into um, how much were you able, if you want to give a number, that's fine, but how much did you earn from all of this attention? I started seeing, a, I had no indie commerce before I closed, I had indie commerce presence within 24 hours of us of our closure. Yeah. So mid May, I want to say, my sales, I, I was like, it exploded, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Wow. And by the end of, by the end of June, I was up about one and a half million dollars. Wow. Wow, look at God. Like, God. God. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm wrapping my mind around it because it was such a tragic, it still is such a tragic time and the reasons behind all these things happening. But there is something to be said about like something, something like this coming from that, you know? Like, and I think um, all the attention that these Black businesses have gotten has been so important and you know, like, like finally. So um, does this mean you'll be able to, like, what's your projection for the rest of 2020? So I'm opening very slowly. Okay. My team is back. We're here working together um, safely, but I'm still not confident in <laughs> policy. Yeah, I'm not either. So I'm, so I'm opening very slowly. Um, my, my priority is just that everybody's getting paid. So as long as they're getting paid, I'm like, we'll open when we open. Everybody will be fine. They'll be back. Wow. Um, So I'll probably open by the end of, by the end of this month. Um, But I'm continuing to watch the numbers. Safety is my second, you know, my, my also my primary concern up there with my getting paid. And um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I'm going to reopen part time and we'll take it from there. I've learned my lesson about planning. <laughs> I, can't, I can't help it because I'm a Capricorn. Yeah. So those are my two priorities, my team getting paid and safety. So I'm going to, it's going to be a slow opening. And every time I've planned something, it never goes the way I plan it. it it's always better and bigger. So I've, I've learned, I've learned to like kind of lead into the uncertainty mm-hmm. and yeah, this is, um, I'm excited for the rest of this year and the years going forward. I was really, I'm really fortunate that I have a great landlord. And um, so I wasn't, I wasn't, even though I was behind on rent, I wasn't stressed about it. I didn't have that pressure. You know, he was just 
texting me like, how are you coping? Are you? I'm like, I owe you tens of thousands of dollars. How are you coping, sir? (laughs) He's like, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out. He's like, I can't afford to give you an abatement, but yeah, just focus on you and focus on a strong reopening and we'll figure it out later. And I think I have some survivor's guilt because my story is, it's an anomaly and my neighbors are not faring as well. Like my neighbors on my block are doing pretty okay. That everybody's gonna survive this. But the Bronx as a whole, us not having a bookstore, that's just the late that was just the latest headline in disinvestment in the Bronx. Yeah. We're in education and health resources. And then this all compounded with with COVID and yeah. with um with racial injustice. Our community. You know how that that quote when America gets a cold, black people get the flu. Get the whole flu. The Bronx gets cancer. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um it's this this picture on my on in my for my business, it's a very different outlook when I look beyond my horizons. And one of the things that gives that that helps me cope with this survivor's guilt is that some higher power has put me in this position so that I can be a strong enough leader for everybody else. So I'm, I, now I can, I'm not, I can shift my attention from survival to uplifting. Yeah. I'm looking at, you know, where can I put my money? How can I, how can I, um, (laughs) you know, invest and help other people get their PPP loans and how can I, you know, how can I be that support system for the next business owner? Yes. Um, I do want to say, though, you did say something interesting about survivor's guilt. And um, I mean, it may not seem like a huge deal, but you've already, you've, you're keeping your employees paid. And that's really important. A lot of, a lot of businesses can't do that. So essentially you are supporting that com- your community in a really big way because they're that impacts their families that impacts their livelihoods. So you know, I know you, I'm assuming because you're that headstrong Capricorn, you don't want to pat yourself on the back. <laughs> but but I mean, I hope you can at least take a step back and really like say, okay, like there's you sh- you can't. I understand the survivor's guilt, but you you've been doing some amazing things. So please pat yourself on the back. I received that, sis. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Please, <laughs> it's 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 a big deal. So, so I got two questions for you. Um, of course, the name of this podcast is called Unbossed. Clearly, you are unbossed to me in every sense of the word and meeting. Um, can you kind of tell me what is your definition of the word unbossed? And also tell me about another black woman, Afro-Latino woman, anyone, a woman who's unbossed to you. She can also be, she can be fictional, dead, alive, or fictional too. Okay. What does unbossed mean to me? Um, unbossed means there's no such thing as an overnight success. My, my overnight success, my $2 million I made in June took me seven, five to seven years to get here yeah. of, of nothing, putting my head down, lighting my life on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and another woman who is 
unbossed to me, oh, I could name 20. Who inspires me? Yes. Rosa Garcia. Okay. She owns a restaurant. She owns a restaurant two blocks down from me. So remember I said I never worked behind a bar before I decided to open one? Yeah. I showed up at her bar one day and I was like, I have to pay like five thousand dollars for my liquor license. And she's I met her for the first time. And she um she said, No, I I did my liquor license application on my own. And she sat down with me. She said, Come, come tomorrow. We'll go through this page by page. We sat there and went through that 60 page application together. And not only that was the way I met her, but every day I hear anecdotes like that, the way she pays it forward. And that inspires me to have that same kind of impact on other female entrepreneurs coming up behind me. I'm always looking to share information. I'm a product of mentorship. So um, that's, that's who gets that, Rosa. Yes, shout out to Rosa. Um, and how can everybody uh, learn more about you, learn more about the Lip Bar, support you? How can we continue to support you? Go to thelipbar.com and that will link you to everything. You can just fall down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm the most active on Instagram. My handle is the Lip Bar, and my personal page, that's why I'm a little sophista ratchet is First Noel, the number one S-T dot N-O-E-L-L-E. I follow the Sister Ratchet page because that's, that's my that's my love language. So <laughs> that's what I, that's, that's my, my lane <laughs> So I love it. But um, Noel, I can't thank you enough. Um, I'm, I say this to every guest on the show. So uh, for listeners, I hope it never sounds insincere, but I am so inspired by you. I'm so inspired by your journey and how you are already paying it forward, even if you don't want to pat yourself on the back yet. <laughs> I see you doing it now. But, um, but thank you. Thank you for your, your wisdom and your time. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Yes. <laughs> Be sure to listen, download, or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Marquita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag UnbossPodcast. I appreciate you. Thanks, guys.